Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode. I'm gonna let you in the secret. It's one of the best ones. I have an absolutely delightful chat with Dougie Payne of Travis, and it's just well, it's just a cracker. It's uh, it's a really joyous uh, pod natter, so you're in for a treat. Before I get on with that, a few thank yous. Uh, thank you to Seventy Six for producing the podcast. Thank you to uh, all of the gang over on the Distraction Pieces Network and uh, and the head honcho over there as well. Thanks to Scroobius Pip. And if this is your first time listening to Off the Beat and Track, then when you finish listening to this uh, Ace chat with Dougie. Go and explore the the back catalogue because there's 250 episodes now that you can listen to. They're all free. You can listen to me chatting to uh, Dougie's bandmate Fran. Uh, you can yeah, a great chat with Fran as well. Um, but you can also hear me talking to Foo Fighters, Motley Crue, Fatboy Slim, Suede, Amanda Palmer, Maxine Peak. Gosh, the list goes on. Um, go and have a rummage. That's the, 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 the best advice I can give you. Um, also, if you'd like to support the podcast, uh, the way you can do that, um, aside from uh, just doing the, the, the shares, if you see us on the socials and, and subscribing and all of that, I do have a Patreon page, um, and I put up video episodes over there. I put up standalone episodes that don't get released to the masses. Uh, so there's... There's loads of content that goes up there, radio shows as well, um, and you can find out about that. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash off the beat and track. Uh, and yeah, so it's your opportunity if, if you'd like to, to kind of support the podcast uh, over there. Um, it's much appreciated if you can, um, but no pressure. It's tough times we're in, right? Um, and... Also, I mean, in regards to all of the back catalogues and the Patreon and merch and anything else you need to know, www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. That's beat and, not beaten, beatandtrackpodcast.com. Right, I know why you're here, so I'm going to stop with this waffle and get on to some grade A waffle. Please enjoy it, Off the Beat and Track Podcast, with the delightful Dougie Payne. Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording. Uh, joining me today, Dougie Payne. Hello. Hi, how are you doing, Stu? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, 
Before before we start talking playlist um, yeah. and record choices, Dougie, I just want to know how you found the last year, uh, the, mm. you know, the majority of 2020 and the, the, the beginnings of 2021. I should point out we're recording this on the 16th of March. How you found that year as both Dougie the human being mm. and Dougie the creative? Um, well, it's been a weird one, right? I mean, it, it, I think the weirdest year of of all time. I mean, I, I, my my dad is uh, is ninety two, and um, I was talking to him about it, and he was saying he can't believe that this is even. He says it's more disruptive than the war was. You know, he was. He's. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. He can't believe how it's affected everyday life. As far as um, personally goes, you know, it's been. The, uh, the the homeschooling's been interesting with uh, <laughs> with the, with the two boys. Um, that's had its moments, but it's actually been been okay. And um, I think generally, just kind of the the low level of background anxiety, you know, that everybody's feeling. Yeah. I think it seems to be kind of raising a bit. I've been talking to a lot of pals about it. Just kind of as it goes on longer, it seems like. It just that it's like the background radiation in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of anxiety. It's just kind of fizzing away. Um, and I think as we kind of hopefully get closer to the end, maybe people are getting a bit more desperate for that to happen, for things to open up Absolutely. and be a bit be a bit more normal. Um, creatively, it was it's been good actually. I've been doing a lot of writing, and I've been doing writing with other people, other kind of younger singer songwriters before lockdown so I've been kind of working on that stuff and um that's been kind of keeping me going basically because it's always that's that's kind of the a lot of the, the time it's the fuel that keeps you going it's, it's actually making stuff but what I was talking to a painter a friend of mine Toby uh last week and he was saying that he went into the studio and uh, uh his studio and he just said I just had nothing I had nothing, and I just kind of laid out. I got, he's got a couch, and he said, I just laid down on the couch, and I just he's, I, I couldn't work out what was going on. And then he said, I suddenly realised nothing's going in. You know, it's like, yeah. so, so nothing comes okay. out. Yeah. And and it's that, that thing where we all try and make up for um, lived experience with Netflix and Spotify playlists and all of that stuff, but... That's just the ingredients, you know. The 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 actual the the cooking happens when with lived experience. Completely. And um and I think that you know people are creative people are starting to maybe find that that a difficult thing the the lack of lived experience the lack of shared you know uh, experience and and life is uh, is becoming quite difficult. I think. And in regards to to, to writing during lockdown with 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 other artists and stuff. Um, having to kind of do these things remotely, was that something that was new for you? Or obviously with Fran living in the States a lot of the time and things like that, was was writing remotely and sending files backwards and forwards something that you'd kind of was, had, had done previously? That's something that we've done in the band previously. Um, and, uh, and it's something that we've obviously been doing a lot more. It's been interesting band-wise. It's been really interesting because... When we uh, come off the road traditionally or, you know, we're not in the studio, we're not actually doing the band, generally we don't see each other. We barely, we barely speak, you know, we barely call each other. So 
there's been an interesting thing that's happened over the last few months where we've started having weekly meetings on Zoom. And we've, we never did that before. And it's been really nice. It's almost like we kind of reconnected in, in quite a lot of ways. And we've been doing acoustic sessions for people for radio and we've been doing kind of lockdown sessions and making little videos and you know there's been a lot of that stuff going on so we've kind of worked out quite a nice uh working method as far as that goes but i think more importantly than that it's kind of weirdly brought us closer together that's wonderful it's really strange because you know we've been in a band for 25 years yeah that's that's a, that seems too long, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so you know you do you do just kind of naturally drift apart or want to drift apart when you're not kind of sure. uh, working together after all that time time together, and so I think there there have been positives uh, for us as a band in that, and we're kind of um, very kind of all on the same page at the moment and feeling quite buoyant about. Um, you know, hopefully as things open up, getting back on the road, because obviously that's a huge miss for us. It's a, yeah. the biggest, it's, that's kind of the biggest part of, of the band now is playing live. And um, also we had, it was quite bittersweet that we had this really nice record coming out, you know, it came out in, in October. We finished it actually the week before lockdown happened last March. And, um, and then it came out in October and there was just no no touring, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it was just like, oh, that's a shame. These would be nice songs to play live, to play to people, you know? And so um, that was that was kind of, that was a bittersweet moment, but um, we've kind of, we're, have, we're in a nice moment as a band now. Wonderful. Dougie, I mean, we've already sort of touched on, on, on songwriting with artists, so I'm, I'm mm. sure that's going to present itself when I ask you for your first track as well. Um, for track one, Dougie, I want you to tell me the song you think's got the greatest ever intro, please. See, this is a hard one. It's man. meant to be hard, this one. That is a, it's a really, <laughs> really hard one. I was racking my brains. I was going, oh, my God, is it going to be two tribes? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be young Americans? Is it, Look at you squeezing in your honourable mentions on the slide there. I know, I know. I, just, I, I had a list of them. But, the, but I kind of just remembered having a, um, a conversation in the back of a tour bus when we were on tour in America. With uh, we were with Maximo Park supporting us, the, the great Maximo Park. Well, I am interviewing Paul Smith in an hour. <laughs> you are kidding me on. How bizarre! That's, that is great. Well, this is the thing because that's unbelievable. Because I was <laughs> that's really blown my mind. Um, because I was sitting in the back lounge of the tour bus with Paul, and we were just kind of listening to music and chatting away, and this song came on. And it's uh, and he said a brilliant thing about it, which and the song is "Gimme Shelter" by the Rolling Stones, because the start of it is this creeping, insidious. It's the exact opposite of a big bombastic start, and it's just it's so magnetic. I think it just draws you into the song, and it's creepy, and slightly kind of unsettling. And you kind of get this feeling of dread and then the band come in and it's just this, it's so incredible. And Paul said, you know, we kind of, when the song came on, we, we kind of, we were chatting away, blah, blah, blah. You know, we talk a lot. And um, 
we both kind of clammed up when it started. And once the band kicked in, he said, the thing about this song is that it feels like it's always playing. And it's just, you just happen to have tuned into that frequency. And it's there, it appears out of nowhere like magic. <laughs> and I was That's like, so spot on. That is, that is a perfect way to describe this song. <laughs> and it feels like with, with, with that record, so you can't hear that without Scorsese. Just is is yeah. in, in my head straight away. Absolutely, know. yeah, yeah. And Scorsese, I mean, Scorsese's use of um, music throughout his all his whole oeuvre is just—it's so important because music is like it's a, tr- a true love of his, you know, mm. and he's incredibly knowledgeable about it. And um, I, I mean, his movie. The Last Waltz was a big um, touchstone for for us as a band when we first got together. Oh, really? That was kind of that was a thing that we we watched and uh, kind of really got into the band. And then we went and recorded at um, Bearsville, where the band lived and worked and all that. So that was pretty incredible. And so, in regards to to intros, um, when you're when you're writing a song now, if you're writing with younger new artists. Um, the way that people listen to music is far different from, let's say, when you first started writing with Travis. Mm. Uh, and so are these considerations when you start to write music now in regards to perhaps attention spans maybe slightly shorter uh, for, for the younger generation? Are these things that ever enter into your mind, like, when, when you're when you're writing there, well, it's, that's a really that's a really good question because obviously the whole history of recorded sound is out there, so you've got to kind of get people's attention kind of yeah. quick, <laughs> otherwise uh, you're you're on a hiding to nothing. But um, we kind of tend to write pretty kind of I hate the word, but organically and just allow kind of things to have and if they have an emotional ma- that magnetic thing at the core, then we'll kind of pursue them but there was a, a point when we um were writing uh, which record was it? i think it was uh everything at once when we kind of said let's write three minute pop songs you know that was that was what we wanted to do because the record before that we'd uh, where you stand We'd written these songs and we took them to radio and they said, yeah, they're great, but you're going to have to take out a minute (laughs) and kind of, you know, going to. And so that actually became the hardest part of the process of making that record was doing the editing after the fact, because you spend weeks and months writing and creating this thing that you think is absolutely as it should be. And then you. You're told, you know, you've got to hack a limb off here and a foot off here. (laughs) And it's like, oh, don't know how to do that. So um, so we, we did, that was the one time where we did make a conscious decision to do the, make the editing part of the writing process, yeah. if, you know, if you know what I mean. But now even, I mean, that's like, what, five years ago now? Yeah. So it's even changed from then. And um, like I was saying about the band all being in the same page and more kind of involved in the nuts and bolts of our, of our thing, we've been talking to a lot of people who know about you know the digital side of things and Spotify people and and their kind of watchword is you've got to get to the vocal within five seconds it's crazy that, right like that's what that's what they say so vocals got to start after five seconds or people just turn off and um 
And I was like, that's unbelievable. So it's almost like the art of the intro and the, the slow build is just becoming a thing of the past, which I think is tragic for songwriting, yeah. you know, because because it becomes then more like jingles rather than a, a songs taking you on a journey or, or taking you to an emotional space, you know? Well, I mean, there'd be no more Gimme Shelter, right? Exactly. Oh. And what a terrible world that would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to take you back, Dougie, for track two, and I'm going to ask you for the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah, well, I mean, this this is uh, this is this is another good one because it could have been, you know, the end credits to the Incredible Hulk that used to oh, get me just walking away. Oh, uh, used to get me every time. <laughs> I just it was almost like as a kind of four-year-old or a five-year-old or whatever it was too emotional it was i couldn't deal with it and i actually strangely enough felt the same about the ugly duckling sung by danny k (laughs) i totally know what you're saying you know know what if i think now you've said that if anyone ever asked me my own question i think it would be that that honestly broke me in half when i was a kid it was it was heartbreaking it was too much are you just you know those because you just don't have the the emotional vocabulary to mm. even approach what you're feeling, yeah. you know. But um, <laughs> but the one I've actually the one I've actually gone for. See, I am sneaking in a lot of extras yeah. here. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the one I've actually gone for is um, it's it sounds like I'm making it up, but the first record I ever listened to, the first album I listened to all the way through, was Hunky Dory. When I was five, my si- I, I was lucky enough to grow up with three older sisters who were all about 10, 10 13, and eight years older than me. So their um, record collections were huge for me, absolutely massive. And one day, Jill just sat me down in, in her room and played me Hunky Dory. And um, I listened to it all the way through. It was completely captivated. And it was like... The only way I can describe it is it was like all the lights going on, all the doors opening, everything just kind of switching on in my in my head. It was kind of, it gave me, every song was like a different, it wasn't like songs, it was like atmospheres that kind of just gave you different viewpoints, a different way of living, you know, a whole different planet. And the one that really stuck with me was the Bewley Brothers. Um, because... It's so dense and so kind of dark and uh, crepuscular, I think is the word. Yeah. And, uh, and it kind of, it was, there's feelings of sadness in it, there's feelings of loss in it, but there's also feeling genuine kind of uh, fear. It was, it was scary. It was a scary piece of music because you've got all those um, little goblin voices at the end and, and all this strange imagery that I mean, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but it's that atmosphere, and it was, it was, it was a, it was a kind of nice fear because it was intriguing. It was like, it's like why people watch horror movies or go on roller coasters. It's like this. Oh, this is this is this is something else, something that I've never experienced before. You know, was you always sort of curious around? the more stranger things growing up. I think, I mean, I, I do think children in general are always drawn to, to the, you know, something a little bit weirder if you can, but was that something that you always wanted to explore and, and kind of 
find out more yeah, about it. Yeah, I think it was partly because of, like I say, having older siblings. I think because you're exposed to things that are too old for you. Sure. You know, and things that are things that are beyond your understanding, and so there's TV shows and and uh, and mu- and music and movies and stuff that you probably shouldn't, or maybe not shouldn't, but you're you're just too young to understand. Yeah. But it's good. It's kind of it's it's reaching. It feels weird, so you kind of reach for it. It's intriguing, and I I see it with my kids. You know, they kind of they you know uh, Theo just wants kind of weird stuff. He wants Venus fly traps and stick insects yeah. and you know all that kind of thing. It can manifest itself in lots of different ways, but um but I think that is part of that's a big part of of childhood. Definitely. It's kind of it's it's pushing that envelope, pushing where you what you've experienced and kind of trying to get out there, you know, and see see what's there, see what's intriguing. And um I, I yeah. Children are they're strange because they just they exist in an almost up to a certain age. They exist in an almost psychedelic space. Yeah, you know where it's it's completely connections are strange. You know, they connect up the strangest things, and and it's just this magical kind of land of pure imagination. To quote Willy Wonka. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a glorious song that is as well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's stay in the formative years for track three, Dougie. Uh, and I want you to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Um, well, the the thing that, that after kind of the well, Bowie was the was the obsession from when I first heard Hunky Dory, and that was absolutely it. But the next thing when I was kind of early teens, so this is high school, yeah, secondary school, um, it was um, uh, Prince was absolutely became. I kind of fell in love with that guy. I think, yeah. you know, when I first I saw the video for "When Doves Cry," and uh, I just was like, "This, this is the most incredible person I think I've ever seen." And um, and so that was that was actually the the first twelve inch single I bought was was that. But there was a particular incident in school which involves another Prince song, which is Paisley Park, and. Uh, uh, school, school was kind of, I don't know. I, I look back at school and I just, I all I think is beige, you know. <laughs> it's just totally beige. There's, you know, a, f- a few unpleasant moments like getting a black eye here or you know, getting getting kind of falling out with your pals there, um, and maybe a couple of good moments. Like I loved English. I loved uh, my my English teacher, Mrs. Hinton, was was my the best teacher there, and she got me really into um, into reading, into books, into Shakespeare and things like that. Um, and so there were there were moments of kind of quite happy things. And I always liked learning. I always liked kind of taking things in. Um, but generally, just fucking beige, man. <laughs> Just nothing. You I know? mean, if a five years old Bowie had switched the lights on and then you've discovered Prince, anything else is going to seem pretty beige, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a really good point. Music, music was always much more interesting than school, you know. But speaking of that, the, the music department in, in the school was terrible. It was just so dry and so uninspiring and just 
oh, this just it felt like being in in a factory or something. You know, you're just like oh, this relentless thing. And then one day, Mrs. Kennedy, the music teacher, said, "Now, children, we have a very exciting piece of equipment. We now have a turntable and a stereo. <laughs> and so next week." I'd like you all to bring in one record each and we can play, play the records. And we were all like, oh, brilliant, great. And then she said, but I know what you boys are like. You're all into your heavy metal music, which, <laughs> they, to be fair, they all were, all, all like my pals were into, like, Maiden and yeah. Motorhead and ACDC and, uh, and Rush and things like that. Yeah. And she said, so only one of you can have a heavy metal record, okay? So we kind of came out of the class and made a plan of who was going to bring in what. And I said, look, I'm not a metalhead. I'm going to bring in Prince. And uh, they're like, okay, then worked it out. So the next week we went in and I had, Pais- I had my Paisley Park 7-inch with me. And uh, she said, okay, who'd like to go first? And I said, oh, I'll, I'll go. I've got Prince. And so she put it on. We listened to it and... Everyone was, well, I was just very happy that it was getting played in school. It was kind of a weird moment. And then she took it off and she said, right, that's your one heavy metal record. <laughs> <laughs> and all the rest of the guys were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, we're the same age, Dougie. And, and you know, you're saying that seeing that video to when doves cry you know, yeah. it, it, it was exactly the same. I, I completely agree. It was like there was a million and one glamorous pop stars around that time. Absolutely. But there was something very different. When you saw him on that motorbike and you saw, yeah. you know, the clips from the film, it was like, oh, my God, like, who is this? And the song sounded like nothing else. It was like. <laughs> Absolutely. It had that because, and you kind of, you, know, you find these things out years later, but it was sounded kind of empty. Mm. And spectral, and you kind of find out that years later he'd, he'd done it as a full band thing, and then taken like taking the bass out and taking all these bits out, so it just became this weird spectral mm. funk, you know. And yeah. uh, and uh, it was it's he was like it was like he'd kind of beamed in from another planet. And then once you once I kind of got into that that, that kind of era and around the world in a day was kind of that that part of his career. You had the joy of discovering he's got all these records before yeah. this. You know, you'd get Dirty Mind and Controversy and Prince and, oh, my God. And then, and then not only that, you're discovering this incredible back catalogue. He just keeps releasing classic yeah. album after classic album and just, just you know, bestrode that decade like a, like a tiny colossus. Yeah. <laughs> totally, though. I, I, I remember like one of the first singles I bought was When Doves Cry. And I'm not trying to be like indie wanker, but like <laughs> when my mates had come round, I'd be like, Look, this is really good, but listen to the B-side. It's this song called 17 Days, and it's oh, amazing. It's yeah. so good. Absolutely loved that. And it was, and it was that thing with the B-sides, because the B-side of Paisley Park is actually my favourite Prince song of all time, She's Always In My Hair. Oh, right. Which, which D'Angelo did years yep. later, and it's absolutely, I love that song so much. <laughs> And it was, you're just like, oh, this is a, it was almost like kind of um, striking oil, yeah. you know? It was like, this is just, it just keeps coming. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. Um, well, before we go on to, to, to track four, I mean, fr- fr- from what you said about school being pretty beige, um, 
you know, it, it sounds like it, it wasn't the most fun uh, experience. But during school, would did you know what you wanted to be? Um, no, I didn't really. I knew I wanted to do something creative. I'd been kind of, I knew that music was so central. Music was kind of absolutely central to, to me. And art was really central. So my sister had gone to um, an art school, Galashiels College of Textiles, my eldest sister, Sandra. And, um, and she was a big influence on, uh, just, she was, a, she went off and lived in London. How adventurous. <laughs> and then went and lived in Paris and became, and, you know, was bringing all this cultural ephemera back when, whenever she came back and was having these experiences. And, and so that was kind of, it was almost, it felt like uh, living a creative life. Would, somehow, I didn't really know how, but that would be authentic to me or that would feel like, oh, that would be the right thing to do. And, and I was always slightly kind of out of it because I was just into art and music and, you know, I love football as well, but that kind of fell by the wayside a bit as I kind of got more into, into making stuff and, yeah. and try, trying to be creative. It was always what, what I was interested in. Um, but I didn't really know how to go about that. <laughs> how, do I, how do you, you know, you're in the south side of Glasgow and how do you do that? And it was Sandra that kind of was, that opened those doors and her husband, Sandy, who uh, is an actor, so I would go to the theatre to see Sandy in plays and, and playing Macbeth and stuff, and it was like that. This is this this is the the universe that I kind of want to inhabit. But it was a it was a vague direction rather than a specific. I'm going to be a, a sculptor or I'm going to be a a, a guitarist or whatever. Um, so it was just there was. And I think I think a lot of the my peer group probably thought it was a bit weird, <laughs> but that's kind of maybe everybody feels like that because you're kind of a, a universe of one. <laughs> was you confident? Uh, I was I was a confident kid, and then when um, I was in primary seven, I kind of got a bit ostracised by my the, the my peer group uh, of guys because I'd worked, I'd found out that I could draw. And so I started drawing uh, pictures of like Nick Kershaw and Howard Jones for the girls because they'd asked me to, and yeah. that did not go down well <laughs> with the other guys. <laughs> not at all. So I kind of so I was a bit kind of out on a limb from that point, and that actually did affect my my confidence kind of moving ahead into my my teenage years, and then and so that's maybe why school high school is kind of a bit vague because I was never I was kind of always a bit like, well, I know what, you know, because in, in primary school, they, you suddenly, when you can draw, you're, you just get called a poof, mm. you know, and you're like, and you're like, oh, right, that's, okay, well, I see. Um, and so I was always kind of maybe a bit wary, you know, and yeah. that, that didn't really kind of uh, leave me until I went to art school, actually, until or the visual art studio where Franny and I met. Yeah. And uh, which is the pre-art school course, and then it was it was brilliant. I loved my time at the visual arts studio, and I loved my four years at art school because uh, it was like-minded people. And I, you know, they're still my best friends. The, the, all my friends that I met at, at art school. It's and, um, amazing when it, you find your tribe, isn't it? 
It's exactly right. Finding your tribe, that's exactly how to put it. I'm being very long-winded here. But but yeah, and it was just like, oh my God, we've you know, we've got all these things in common and we kind of are really interested in each other. And it was a really kind of supportive uh network and it was music and movies and everything. And it was just like, oh, it was like having a warm bath, you know. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Wonderful. Well, I've had a look through the rest of your playlist and I can't see any Kershaw or Jones. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll move on to, to track four. Um, and it's the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please, Dougie. Yeah. Well, it must have been uh, summer. I think it was summer holidays because I must have been a bit flush for cash. I obviously had some summer holiday uh, money because um, it, it was the first record I ever bought and it was an album. It was Let's Dance, David Bowie. It was because that was the first album that had uh, come out kind of in my time, mm. you know, when I was kind of yeah. just, you know, I could I could go and buy a record. Me and my pal Paul would go and get the train into town. I mean, we were only 10. We'd get the train into town, and this became a weekly ritual Saturday, into town, come out the station, go to HMV, Virgin and Missing Records, those were the three record shops, and they were all pretty much in the same street. Yeah. And then go get what, get whatever we could get and then go straight back on the train <laughs> and get home and listen to them. And, um, and yeah, I was, uh, like I say, my, my boy obsession is still going strong 40-odd years later, and uh, Let's Dance was just, it was just joyful. It was, I loved that record so much, and, um, and I had to have my own copy, even though... My sister Jill had already bought the album. I needed to have my own copy, and so when I got home, she said, "Why did you buy that? I've already got it. I could tape it." And I was like, I had, "I've got to own it. I've got to have it." And that was the kind of the start of becoming like a, a record collector and a fairly obsessive music buyer. You know, <clears throat> we spoke uh, at the beginning of the, the podcast about 
changing ways that people listen to music and Spotify and things like that. And I don't, I don't want to come across, you know, like an old granddad, but <laughs> just hearing you say what you just said there about you got the training, you went to them record shops, you got home, even though your sister had it, you wanted it yourself, and then yeah. you got home and you played it. And I can guarantee, I'm right. When you was playing it, you were staring at the sleeve, right? Just devouring yep. every possible word and anything you could Absolutely. find on it. And I do think there's something lost there. I do. I oh, can't yeah. help it. I think there's something that gives you that love and value for it when it's tangible and you've had a journey to get it and you get it home and you just oh, just devour it. And I think like... Exactly. And, you know, even before I kind of got to the age where I could go and buy records, I would sit with, uh, say, Scary Monsters or Aladdin saying and kind of sneakily put it onto the, the turntable in the in the front room. And I would sit and draw, draw the covers. I would try and copy out the, the, the covers while I was listening to to whatever I was listening to. And, yeah, and you, it's, a, it's a completely immersive experience. You're yeah. just taking, you're in that universe. And I do think that that's lost. You know, there's people say this, your arms are this long so you can carry a record under it, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, one of the other things I want to just sort of uh, ask, we, we spoke about confidence, but, Doug, you've chose a career, um, you know, initially looking at art as well, you know, both art and music, to reach the level of success that, that you've reached is is very difficult. It's such a competitive industry. Um, and so aside from confidence, would you say um, you're driven? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm driven in a way in that I really, I work hard, you know, um, I think when, uh, for, for instance, I, uh, when I got into art school, I get into art school by the skin of my teeth. I was on the waiting list, you know, and uh, I think there was seven people on the waiting list and, you know, all of them got in. So when I walked into art school for the first time, I knew that in their minds, at least, I was one of the seven worst people there. (laughs) 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 And I was like, right. So, so I suppose it took a kind of, a kind of confidence just to go. And then I, I loved it so much and I, worked so hard at it that I ended up doing really really well I got kind of a double first and kind of historical and critical and in sculpture and, and so it was but it was just about it was about working really hard but about loving doing the work and then it's funny you know after I kind of left art school and um, started up a studio with some friends of mine and then joined the band and uh, and again it was a kind of similar situation to getting to art school. I had played the bass for, you know, two week, two weeks before uh, we had our first practice. You know, Franny basically came round to my house with a tape and a bass and an amp and said, right, get learning these songs because I'd said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I'd played saxophone and played guitar and played piano and bits and pieces, but I'd never played a bass. So I knew I was... The, by far the worst. <laughs> it's a theme here, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I was like, oh, my God, how's this going to work? And then, you know, um, all of a sudden, within, you know, let me think. I'm just trying to work out the timing. Within two months of me joining the band in that, that first practice in the Horseshoe Bar, we uh, moved to London. We got managers. We um, 
got a record deal and we played like some shows, got a record deal in October. And then by that December, so this is six months after joining, I was in upstate New York recording a, a, an album with Steve Lillywhite, who had made some of my favourite records. And I was just like, what is going on? But just, but it was about, I suppose I must have been confident to do, to kind of get in and swim in that environment, sure. you know? Um, but uh, but it was just about practicing and practicing and working at it and trying to get better, you know. So there's so yeah, there is a, a theme there, isn't it? <laughs> For track five, Dougie, I'm going to ask you the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. Well, I did have a couple of clubbing years. Okay. Uh, when uh, in there's a guess about it was the under 18s. It was the Fury Murrays in the warehouse and uh, the tunnel where Franny used to work, actually, um, at, uh, in the under-18s. And so it was that summer of kind of 88, the summer of acid, you know, and all that. And um, I really, really loved it. Me and a couple of my pals would just go and kind of just have such a great time trying to meet girls, you know. And it was, and the music was brilliant. And it was music that I didn't really know. I'd kind of grown up with basically pop and rock. It was a pop household I grew up in. It was a top of the pops household, mm. you know, where because my, you know, I was surrounded by basically teenage girls who were obsessed with pop music my whole yeah. young life. So, um, so yeah, so it, it was that summer, and it was Hey Music Lover by S Express. Yeah. Just was, I adored that song. Yeah, and it just was so joyful, and so I just felt like, oh, this is this is the place to be. You know, this is absolutely we're the only place to be. Mark Moore's made some incredible records. He really, he really, really has. Um, you, you just touched upon something there, and, and I'm going to ask you this as well to get your take, because I did ask Fran this, um, and because I'm always fascinated by people that have been on top of the pops, because it's such an institution, and it was something that as, you know, anybody of, of, of our generation and, and, and some after and some before... It was, it was what happened on a Thursday night. You watched Top of the Pops. Um, what was it like when you you realised you was going to go on Top of the Pops, and then when you done it, did it deliver? <laughs> well, I was I couldn't be, couldn't believe that we were going to get on Top of the Pops. It was absolutely it was it's kind of what everybody aimed for, you know. I realised. Have you heard the Chart Music podcast? Where they take apart one episode of Pop, Top of the Pops for no. like four hours. Oh You've my got god, to check that sounds out. incredible! It's they're on like about fifty or sixty episodes now, and they just pick one from any era, and then they just there's it's uh, Al Needham's the host, and there's two uh, former Melody Maker journalists wow. out of a, a pool of about five or six, yeah. and they just absolutely uh, atomize an episode of Top of the Pops for like five hours sometimes. Oh, you would love it. wonderful. It's incredible. Well, that t- that podcast actually has altered what my first memory is. Okay. I thought my first mem- I thought my first memory was uh was me falling off a wall when I was 3. <laughs> but but they um they talked about this episode from 1975 with the Bay City Rollers, and I loved the Bay City Rollers, and so did my sisters. And I suddenly had this memory of me with headphones on in the front room as a tiny little boy singing 
Bye Bye Baby at my sisters who were ending themselves laughing. And I was having a, having a ball and it, because we'd just seen them, Bay City Rose, do it on top of the pops. And that, was, that predated my original memory. And, and I asked my sister about it. I said, is, is that true? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, we used to do that to you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this, is, this has changed my life. You know, this is bizarre. So, you know, so Top of the Pops was everything. It was like a window into, like, quality street glittery lights and glamour. And it was, it was everything that didn't exist in suburban Glasgow. And um, so getting on the show, oh, my God. What was song was it? Because Fran couldn't remember. Uh, it's right to reach you. It's right. Right to reach you was the first because that was the first single. It went in at fourteen or thirteen, and then and we got on that that week. And um, the the only and I, it was a thrill being in that building. It was a thrill kind of being in that set. It was just it was absolutely brilliant. The only thing that slightly dulled it was the fact that they were going through that phase where everybody had to play live yeah right so we were playing live so it was really nerve-wracking you didn't have that fun of miming a you know messing around like Slade or you know a T-Rex it was just you you're actually going oh man we've got to play this right <laughs> it's a gig so it was, <laughs> yeah it's a gig so it's a bit it's a gig that like millions of people are going to watch and so it was a bit more nerve-wracking than i would have liked you know <laughs> love it <clears throat> right well i'm going to take you home for track six uh, and i'm going to mm. ask you for a favorite song from an artist from your home county please well, you know, this is a, another difficult one because Glasgow is a bit of a hotbed of great bands. But, um, but I thought I should probably go back to my first ever show, the first gig that I ever went to. And uh, I got taken to see Simple Minds at Ibrox Park when I was 12 or 13. And um, and so this this is actually another secret. This is another great intro. But, <laughs> oh, what an intro this is. <laughs> this is so this is Wa- Waterfront by Simple Minds, which was the fir- the song that they opened with. So um not only is it a great intro, it's a great concert concert opening, you know. And um so I just think this this song really stays with me and it's always thrilling. It's it's always a thrilling start. And uh, I remember when we were um when we went in with Steve Lillywhite uh, to record Good Feeling. We kind of were warming up and, you know, it's checking the, the, all the amps and everything. And we started, because we were talking about Spark on the Rain and asking Steve about it, and we started playing Waterfront. And then he just came over the, the, from the control room, over the mic, and he just said, oh, please don't play Roadhouse Blues. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, oh, we weren't doing that right. <laughs> oh, Amazing. <laughs> okay um well i just wanted to sort of touch on some of the other stuff that you was you was listening to because it sounds like music was on at home all the time growing up well it was it, my yeah it was it was like the charts on a sunday and on the uh, tea time of the radio there was top of the pops obviously then there was the tube then you know, and even and my sister's records were just coming through the wall all the time from when I was from before I can remember. You know, she was a Beatles obsessive, so 
I would just get the, uh, years later, people would go, how do you know all the words to chains or yeah. Anna go to him? And I'd be like, well, it's just, it's kind of seeped in, you know, like the, the DNA. I find it really weird how some songs are just, they just exist somewhere. And mm. uh, and where I'm going with this, I might have mentioned it before on here, but I was driving um, a couple of years ago and my kids were in the back of the car and Aztec camera come on somewhere in my heart. And, yeah. And obviously it's a perfect pop record. And yep. they were singing along. And I was thinking, how do you know that? Like, yeah. they're, they're like how do you know that? And like, maybe I, you know, I'd played it once maybe and, and they'd been in the room or something. But, and I just thought, is this song that, perfect a pop record that it's just so instant and it's just there it exists somewhere and people just know it and sing along it just weirded me out i don't know if you know what i'm banging on about i here. know ex- <laughs> i know exactly exactly what you mean and it is that thing that music uh, songs particularly pop songs mm. because they do just get in there they're like magic they're like magic spells and they don't kind of exist by normal rules <laughs> oh, and I'll tell you why, it. thinking about it, why that's a perfect pop song. Amazing intro and the vocal yeah. probably within five seconds, Dougie. <laughs> you might be right. We're finding the formula. <laughs> but no, I had, a, I had a, a weird, a kind of similar experience where my son, my eldest son, Freddie, uh, was doing his piano lesson, you know, the homeschooling thing, doing his piano lesson via Zoom. And... Um, and then the lesson finished, and then suddenly he was playing something else, and I was like, "That's Bob O'Reilly by the Who." I mean, does he know how to play that? <laughs> you know, these things just kind of—they just exist and yeah. they get in somehow. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you didn't hang me out to dry there. I'm glad you got where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Wonderful. Right for your last track, Dougie. You can play DJ, um, and I'm going to ask you to tell us a song that many may not know that you would like us to hear. Well, this is just pure fun. This is, and this is actually again because of that chart music podcast. Uh, there's a great journalist called T- Taylor Parks, whose knowledge of music is absurd, ridiculous. Um, and he uh, was in a discussion about uh, what's that song called, Venus by Shocking Blue, and he started talking about this little weird tributary of pop music, like Nedder rock. It's like this late 60s, early 70s scene that was kind of in the in the low countries, you know, particularly Holland. And this song, Panther Man by Panther Man, is remarkable. And I, not many people know about it. Everybody that I've played it to has gone, I've never heard this before, and it's incredible. And it's kind of like glam rock before glam rock, or Roxy Music before Roxy Music. It's like this weird proto metal glam and uh but the brilliant thing about it is that he is dressed head to toe in a pvc panther suit <laughs> and you've, you've got to look at and andy's holding a little plastic panther just for specialness <laughs> i didn't know i'd never heard of it i went on to spotify the biography because what struck me straight away was when was this made like because as much as it sounds like it could have been around the time kind of pre-Roxy and things like that, it also sounds like it could have been 
something Albini produced in like 1990. It's, yeah. it's really weird and I couldn't place it. And then I thought, right, I'll read the biography on Panther Man. And then mm-hmm. I was just thinking, is this a fucking joke? Or is this real? <laughs> it was talking about seeing Roxy Music supported by Leo, going with Leo Sayer, who was wearing a, 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 I can't remember what outfit it was. And I was just thinking, it sounds like someone's having a laugh here. And like, yeah, and exactly. I, I, I couldn't place it, but it is a banger. It's amazing. <laughs> it's completely amazing. You can take me for a walk in the moonlight. You can take me for a walk in the zoo. <laughs> it's just brilliant. I absolutely love it, and it's been—it's just been a source of pure joy. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Dougie, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast, so people can go and listen to uh, all of the tracks that we've spoken about. And I'll squeeze in some of your honourable mentions as well that you cleverly managed oh, to thumb in there, mate. Um, <laughs> so, Dougie, as we, we we find ourselves in the midst of a a more optimistic 2021. Uh, looking towards uh, you know a, a, a more freer and, and, and connected summer. Um, what's what are you looking forward to personally, and what's coming up professionally? Uh, personally, I'm really looking forward to. I'm, see, I know a lot of people don't like this, but I'm a hugger. Yeah, you. I am both, a hugger. You and me both, brother. And and I I'm looking forward to being being able to hug my pals and hug my family and you know extended family and really looking forward to doing normal stuff with my kids like going to the movies you know just that's it's that stuff that I've been missing and and, and feeling I'm looking forward to taking my taking the boys to cubs and scouts and all that stuff that they're missing out on you know and that's that's really kind of and also I think it'll be I think it'll take a long time, but it'll be incredible when that this sense of weariness that people have about each other it dissipates because it's exhausting, actually, for people to feel weary all the time and to feel other people being weary about them, you know, and I just, that kind of, um, and that feeling is not, not, it's not a healthy one. And I think it'll be, it'll be so nice when that's, that's gone away. Um and um, professionally, we the band we are uh, putting together uh, reissues. We've because we've been we've had this kind of time of no touring. We've been doing various bits and pieces, but we're kind of um, been putting together reissues of the first the first album. So we've been coming back together and looking through loads of old photos and old tapes and all our personal archives and finding bits and pieces which are kind of making their way onto all the socials. Um, so that's been really nice. And then I think Good Feelings out in a few weeks, I'm not sure when, but um, that's the first time it's been on vinyls for, you know, since it came out. Oh, incredible. And if people want to keep up to speed with everything that you're doing, where's the best place for them to do that, Dougie? I am not on any socials. <laughs> I don't do any of it. <laughs> I'm so terrible. I mean, it's, but I just, I never get into it. I've got, I've got a private Instagram, which is just for family and friends. And, uh, but I haven't posted anything since October. <laughs> and I've never had a Twitter, never had yeah. a Facebook. I just, you know, I, I kind of tend to just leave all that alone because. I, I, th- I think you're winning, mate. I just feel like I haven't heard anything yeah. from anybody that uses it regularly that makes it seem appealing. Yeah, I know that makes me. I know I sound like a very old luddite, but I just, I, I personally, it's never held a great deal of appeal, and I just see it 
having you know obviously there are good aspects to it but um i think it, it seems to give make people quite stressed definitely and, and, and everybody seems to forget that it's voluntary yeah <laughs> absolutely i'm just picturing the uh the, the dougie Payne personal instagram is just full of like drawings of howard jones and nick kershaw that you can comfortably <laughs> just throw out there now no backlash <laughs> you know what maybe i'll maybe i'll set up another one just for that <laughs> dougie i've had so much fun chatting to you mate it's been absolutely That's- delightful it's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it, Stuart. It's been great. Oh, thanks loads, mate. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks so much. Cheers, man. Oh, there you go. I did not want that one to stop. I could have chatted to Dougie for hours. It's it's really nice. It's it, it it's kind of it's always good when someone's the same age as you because they have them kind of reference points like we touched upon with you know seeing purple rain uh when doves cry sorry uh video uh on, on top of the pops and just how impactful that was so it's always nice and you know when you can kind of you've shared that sort of timeline of of of, of movements in music so yeah i hope you've got a fraction you know even if you've got a fraction of the joy um listening as i did chain to dougie then uh You've had a good time. Um, so thanks ever so much to Dougie again. Um, thanks to Asher for sorting that out. Um, and yeah, and thanks to you lot for continually uh, supporting this podcast and and help kind of grow it and nurture it and yeah, and put a smile on my face. So, so thanks loads, guys and gals. Um, I'm back next week. Uh, in the meantime, anything else you need to know about back catalogue and subscriptions and anything else you need to know, www offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com Stay safe, lovely people. See you soon. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. Because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk 
official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Hey, 